Welcome to Terminal Talk, a podcast on mainframe and mainframe-related topics. I'm Frank. And I'm Jeff. Oh, wait. No, I'm not. This is Chad <laughs> filling in for Jeff this week. I'm uh, delighted to be here. Well, it just sounds so different. Well, it's it's almost like we raised the bar a little bit, isn't it? It Do does feel, feel like that. Feel a little yeah, bit better. Maybe it's just feel me. A little bit better. And we have a, a special guest. Uh, we're here at Share this week. Uh, Jeff couldn't make it to Share, so we we had to find somebody better. Um, and uh, and our guest today is Larry England, who is a distinguished engineer in Broadcom. Broadcom uh, CA. There you go. It's, you came in in CA or. Right after Broadcom? Or? I came in right at the transition, so everything was just in complete disarray. <laughs> <laughs> so it was perfect for you. It was, it was perfect, yes. Just, um, it wasn't even organized chaos. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what you're used to, right? Because uh, I know you as the LE guy from, for years and years and years. And that, that's the, the, the language environment. I was one of the architects on language environment uh, a number of years ago. Um, and... That was organized chaos. <laughs> <laughs> so earlier, before we started the interview, I said, so that was your fault then. It is my fault. Jokingly, of course. Well, no, no, no. It's, <laughs> you, you can actually blame it on me. Um, just a, a little bit of background on, on it. If you notice, all of the modules have CEE as a three-character prefix or CEL. Yep. Originally, it was going to be called the Common Execution Environment or the Common Execution Library. The legal guys found out that we couldn't use that, and so they came up with language environment. Most people thought I paid those legal guys off to name it after my initials. <laughs> okay, that just occurred to me. That's fantastic. Well, that was always, it was always easy to remember who you were because Larry England, L-E, and there, there, there you go. We like to keep it simple around right. here. Yeah, especially for some of us who are a little slower on the uptake. So, so years ago... When there was Share and Guide, there was a Language Futures Task Force that was co-authored by both of those groups, by our, our customer set. And they wrote up exactly how a common language environment would operate. Prior to LE, there was a separate runtime for COBOL, for Fortran, for PL1, and they didn't share anything. They didn't talk to one another. So if you wanted to call COBOL from PL1, it was this enormous task to go off and do the bridge. And it, it was uh, unbelievably slow so, and brittle. So language environment refers to the runtime? Because I, I think I've also seen it referenced in, like, compiling and linking and that kind of stuff. But is it is it part of that, too, or is it really just the runtime element? So, so it is the runtime, but the, the compilation units have to talk to the runtime. So there's everything from uh, initialization and termination to, to error handling to uh, a, a number of math libraries that are supported inside of the uh, – that whole language environment set. So obviously the executable code has to talk very intimately to what's going on underneath the covers, all the, all the, the management of you know, the storage allocations. Uh, all of those things factor into a language environment. Does the does Java fit in there too, or is the JVM separate from language environment? No, actually the JVM 
Well, the JVM is really a Honkin C program, right. Right. and it runs on LE. So it is an right. LE-enabled language. So it's just another C it's, program. It's just another C program in there. <laughs> no, it's Java. way cooler. It's Java. Java, just so another C program. It's just another C program. And so when we, when we designed LE, we actually allowed it to be uh, – Anything that you wanted to write in LE for the runtime itself, you could actually write in one of the LE languages. And then we had a way that we could actually look at it and figure out um, how to initialize the base and then initialize in order the specific language aspects that you needed for either PL1 or COBOL or Fortran or C or C++. C++. So can you can you run without it now, or is it just it's there? It's transparent. If you're <laughs> it, running, you're using it. You, you you can't run without it. There is even an LE enabled assembler set, so that you can have all of your error handling all taken care of by by LE. So you can do LE error handling, or you could actually have uh, like a PL1 program call an assembler routine, LE-enabled, and still have the PL1 on unit handle some of the errors that were incurred inside of the assembler routine. So many questions have been answered for me right now in the last <laughs> five minutes. That's it. I'm done here. Thanks for inviting me, Ray. Right. But that's so, kind of the cool thing, right, is that I, I now have created a way for languages that really won't normally talk to each other um, to be connected, right? And this is really important in a world where I have a lot of um, pre-existing code, um, a lot of a company's IP that's tied to you know, older languages that can now easily merge with some of the newer stuff. Right. But by the way, one of the things that I find really absolutely hysterical is I wrote all of the uh, the sample routines on how to call from you know from COBOL to PL1 and, and back and forth and what are all of the, the the data types that you know are the same although they have different names in the different languages uh, and how to do all of those those types of things so all of those sa little sample routines were in the documentation I went over to a customer shop and they were doing that they were having, you know, PL1 call a COBOL routine, and I look, and the variable names are the same ones I used. <laughs> you get, do you get uh, royalties? royalties for that? I, I wish that that could be that could be pretty valuable. I would think. Well, I've been I've been looking that up because there there are a lot of people who use um, my favorite the program that I wrote, um, Hello World. Yes, that's it. You're the author of Hello, Hello World. World. That's yeah, it. Yeah. I thought it was goodbye. <laughs> I had <laughs> goodbye, cruel world. That's Frank's. That's Frank's program, or should should be maybe. So, uh, but Ellie isn't the only thing that you did when you were in IBM, right? No, no. I actually one of the things that's really cool uh, being working for for IBM for. Only 26 hex years. <laughs> <laughs> Nerd joke. Nerd joke. Is you can have multiple careers within within IBM, within Broadcom CA, and and have different focus areas. I've I'm really kind of a jack of all trades and a master of absolutely nothing. <laughs> uh, I actually worked on VM 
the very first release it went out into the field as a program product. Wow. Um, I wound up doing some uh, alternate channel I/O, so I've done <laughs> CCW strings, wow. you know, and and channel. You can't see Frank and, and I's faces and, and right channel, now, but we're channel programs. <laughs> uh, I was in compilers and runtimes, obviously right. with with LE. But what predated um, language environment is uh, a buddy of mine, Graham, you up in in Toronto, and I. We we actually put together the the very first C compiler and runtime for Z. Right, that that ran on the the Z box, and that actually spun uh, a number of different things. Uh, the C runtime was based off on the the PL1 runtime at the time, and so it made it really easy for PL1 to call C and C to call PL1. It was all the same underlying runtime. We didn't have to go out issue new stays and spies, you know, as you crossed over the language barriers. I'm I'm so impressed right now. Frank, with this, and I'm going to have Larry sign my code. <laughs> Crypto joke? No one? Anyone? Uh-oh. Nothing? Oh. Uh, this is a tough room. It is. It's, yeah, I, I have to say it, but that's that's a prime joke. Oh, oh, oh boy. Oh, oh. I love it. Okay, we're, okay. we're going to move right along here. <laughs> right along. Oh, okay, so on with other things that, that I've actually done is I worked on a distributed database management system, uh, and so that was with a with a vendor that we put that that out. Then I also was the the architect for the the DB2 control center uh, that was on distributed, and we had a a, a target goal of because we didn't uh, we IBM did not have a, an awful lot of penetration in the uh, distributed database area. You know Oracle, Sybase, Ingress, Informix they all had a piece of that major piece of the that pie. The challenge was to be able to allow one of the executives to install and get DB2 distributed up and running within an hour. And so that was our challenge. And so we, we actually we actually made that made that challenge. Why, why did they choose an executive? Just curious. Like, what, what bar is that that they're setting with the executives? Because they're really smart, and if they could do it, then anyone? No. <laughs> well, so, I think you've no, got that part. Uh, the, uh, she doesn't work here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and moving along. Okay. So you, you mentioned, I, I want to step back, because you talked sure. a little bit about how you guys created the, the C environment based on the PL1 environment. You used a couple of words there that our listeners may not know. I certainly don't know because I'm not, you know, a cool guy like you. You mentioned stays. What what are stays? uh, A a stay is kind of like a vacation home. No, it's not. (laughs) So so there's e-stay and e-spy. These are very low-level air handling routines, right? So... So an eSpy will will take care of program program checks, and eStay will handle abends that that occur inside of the code. Each language actually surfaces different ways to handle errors, and when you mix languages together, now you have to have at least a rational way to go off and figure out who's going to handle the error, all right, and what's the context within the that error handler that you needed to go off and and manage and still honor all of those language semantics. 
I, I know I've done enough of this in Java where you decide which class is going to handle the error kind of up the calling chain, but I can only imagine what it's like in a mixed language environment where you've got PO1 or C calling assembler or vice versa. Like, it's got to be just chaos without it, without that. It, it, it is, and we, we actually had a, uh, a rule that we used is we try to avoid the uh, the rule of least astonishment, <laughs> <laughs> and and when something behaved and you go, oh, I understand why it did that. So you didn't want to have somebody go, what in God's name were they thinking? So you <laughs> wanted to apply, you know, apply the rule of least astonishment to all of the design that we did inside of inside of Italy. And the error handling was was one of one of the most difficult things to go off and and manage there. That's so. fantastic. That's fantastic. So we've talked a lot about some of the stuff that you've done um, in IBM. Um, oh, we ha- we haven't finished, but so oh, you got you got oh, a lot more. So so I, I've done image recognition with a uh, side project over with IBM IBM Research. Uh, I did text search and analytics, and wow. some of that stuff actually factored into the uh, uh, the Watson and the Jeopardy show, and so so that was actually actually pretty cool. I was the uh, the architect for the development tools on and for Z. So so Rosalind basically has got has got the uh, that follow on right. as well. So RDZ, I was I was actually the one that ported RTC when it was being built, and I brought it over and I actually got it up and running on on ZOS. Wow! And so I was the first one to to go off and do that, and everybody scratched their head and they go, "Oh, oh, you just put it on Linux on Z?" And <laughs> no, no, I actually got that. You know, the the platform is unbelievably strong and unbelievably flexible in terms of what you can go off and do with it. Um, I, I ported a whole bunch of open source code on onto it. Um, they, they even had uh, various things like Derby and, you know, other, you know, small open source pieces that, you know, we just took it, dropped, dropped it in there, a couple little tweaks and, and away you go. By the way, the, the thing that you really had to go off and pay attention to was ASCII versus EBCDIC and how to go off and manage that. Yep. And the JVMs, <laughs> by the way, if you, if you look at um, some of the, the examples that are out in the field today for how to handle you know, EBCDIC and all the rest of that within, the, within Java, a lot of those things were examples that I actually put out to the field. So Yeah, that's, that's the curveball that everybody that gets into this environment – Figures out one way or the other the hard way, usually. <laughs> right. I think I've got this development down. I think I've got everything. I just transferred my files over to my PC. What happened? And, and it, <laughs> gosh, they look a little – oh, this oh. That, that, that That's you. <laughs> you mentioned RDZ. I think there's probably some people out there that are interested in that or would be interested in that. What's RDZ? RDZ is the Eclipse-based development environment. IDE, right? An IDE that talks to ZOS. So there's a component, you've got Eclipse, which is Eclipse with a few bolted on things, and then there's a component on Z that does the communication back and forth. So if you want to um, submit your JCL or compile a program or even do a little TN3270, right, that all happens kind of over this. Over, over the wire, right, exactly. And so 
Eclipse actually brought to the uh, to the world a an, a very very nice um, development environment targeted for for Java. So that was their their first piece. They built it so that you can have these plugins to extend that capability, and we extended it so that we can talk to to ZOS. We actually have a couple of demons that run on on Z that do the communication. Um, one main one to to do all of the um, the file explorer and the file transfers and and the editing and all the rest of that, and then another one that actually talked to Jess as well, so that you can do job submissions. You can go look at the uh, at the job output. Um, you can run TSO commands. Uh, you can actually go off and look at not only the traditional file systems on on ZOS, right? The partition data sets, PDSEs, and things like that. But you could also look at the um, the hierarchical file system or the Unix file system, and you can go and drive all of the the Unix command lines as as well within that same environment. It brought also a very sophisticated editing capability over, so you can have the same experience with COBOL and PL1 uh, that you have with with Java. One of my that, favorite parts about RDZ when I was learning this. Uh, JCL syntax checking. Man, that was a lifesaver. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it's the old LPEX editor, right? So the LPEX editor, and then we there, there's actually two editors inside there, and so you can configure them. Um, LPEX has a capability so that if you really like the green screen, you know, kind of behavior, you can have the the ISPF editor uh, flavor inside of your uh, your. If you your just RDZ. can't get enough, if you just can't get <laughs> enough. If you want to put your Model T interior in your Tesla, we can do that for you. No offense to the ISPF guys. Yeah, that's or that's to, or to Tesla, <laughs> or to Tesla for that matter. Yeah, that, that's going to get back and bite us. I think <laughs> you have to guess who was who in that analogy. <laughs> cool. So, so another job that I actually had, which was really an awful lot of fun is I, I was working for uh, for IBM, and I was called the client technical architect for one of the very large healthcare payer systems here in the U.S. And I got to see a, a wide variety of, of technical aspects that our clients wind up looking at. Um, so they have every type of system you can ever imagine. They also have some of the, the largest highest volume transactions that are are run and those run on on z and ims and these things run just billions of dollars through through all of these systems you know just flawlessly and unbelievably fast so z is if 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 you want things to to work you want things to to work unbelievably well unbelievably quickly Z is the place to be. You know, you told us an analogy, and I'll let you tell it before we started talking here. But I think, you know, it's 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 pretty common misconception that when people hear mainframe, they think, oh, it's this old technology. You're sitting around working on this old technology. And, and part of the reason for that, I think, is it's a victim of its own success. It just works. And people don't hear about it because it 
rarely just falls over on itself and there's no newspaper articles about it. It just, it just works. And then you do a, a push-pull upgrade to a new Z14 and the thing just keeps working, right? And, yeah, and, 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 and so nobody knows about it because it, it just does what it does, like you said, right? Yeah, so when IBM purchased Rational, one of the, one of the Rational architects came in and he said, it's been a long time since I've actually been working on Z. He was one of the few that, that had that uh, that background. And he goes, the thing that I remember is it never failed. It always behaved, always did what I wanted it to do. Uh, and I go, a very good hallmark, right? <laughs> it's exactly exactly why we build the thing. Yeah, you right? got to work pretty hard. Right. you got to work pretty right. hard to get it to so, well, so, so, so the so the analogy. Yeah, do, do tell us the analogy. I thought so, it was a good analogy. So I, I like the analogy just because I have a 1964 and a half Mustang. It's got a it's 280 289 engine in it. It's a, a it's a four speed trans manual transmission, four barrel. There there's absolutely nothing else on side on that engine whatsoever. Right? No no emissions control. Nothing. You can stand next to the block and work on it inside. The, under the <laughs> you you can stand inside of the engine compartment. <laughs> right. right. That's right. what I mean. Yeah. It, it's, right. And if you take a look at the Mustang from 1964 to what the Mustangs happen to be today, you, you can actually see the heritage, but you wouldn't claim that the Mustangs today, 50-some-odd years later, are the same Mustangs that you had back in 1964. And I asked Frank, what came out in 1964, Frank? Yeah, the 360. The 360. That's system 360, not an engine by four. Right. Right. Yes, right. yes. <laughs> so the system 360 evolved and is really the, you know, the Mustang of today. It, it is high-powered. It is not the 1964 Mustang <laughs> that, that you had in the past. Admittedly, it's fun driving the old car, but the the gas mileage. Um, <laughs> I understand why it was thirty two cents a gallon back then. Right. And what, what did you what did you have to have installed that didn't come from the factory? You told you told us. Oh, seat belts. Seat belts were optional that year, so I had to go out and find seat belts and install seat belts into my nineteen sixty four and a half Mustang. Just because they were not factory. I'm so glad Larry joined us for car talk. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you? This has been, been fantastic. Well, you know, the, the, the other thing about uh, the system that people don't necessarily know is if you wrote code for the 360, it would still work today. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, Slack, Stanford Linear Accelerator, still runs Fortran that was built back then. It's right. backwards compatible to a fault. Uh, yep. I mean, to yeah. a fault. I, IBM has actually been sued for that. There's a company that, that sued us uh, because um, you make it too easy to stay on the mainframe. That was their claim. Because if you had Windows 95 running your 32-bit code and you want to port that over to the newest version of server 2012 or whatever, it's not going to work. Right? Right. You're going to have to rewrite that application at some level. Not on the mainframe. Not on the mainframe. Well, wait, in 2020, um, all 32-bit windows go away. Uh-oh. <laughs> right? It doesn't mean your 32-bit app goes away, but 
32-bit windows is, uh, are going to mm. be passe, and you only get the 64-bit. Seems right. reasonable. Right. And I can't get well, it done in four gigs. I don't know about you. But <laughs> I need like 16 exabytes or whatever that is because I, I can't do it in four gigs anymore. So, uh, so um, transitioning. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, we're, we're, we're taking a lot of time here. Uh, you're now working for Broadcom. I am working for Broadcom. Uh, you're doing Z stuff for Broadcom. Absolutely doing Z stuff for Broadcom. What are you doing? So my role over Broadcom is I have architectural responsibilities for a broad number of products that run on Z. And my role is to make sure that they continue to go off and drive value and drive, in my mind, an ecosystem across Z. So I, I want to see, you know, all boats get higher as the water rises, and I want to see all boats to, to go off and rise. Yes. We're, we're looking at things like, you know, how do we do Zoe integration? How, how, do, how do we work together to go off and make our common user community be unbelievably successful and continue that, that whole franchise well into the, into the future? Yeah, so you're doing, you're taking this whole portfolio of products, and you're going to adapt them to that, or um, are you? It, depend, it depends on it's it's kind of product by product. We we're obviously looking at some of the uh, some of the the big hitters. We there's IDMS and and Datacom uh, and uh, a number of system related products that we're going to go off and look at. There's a portfolio of tape-related products as well. Um, tape, while while it seems like tape, really? You still do that? <laughs> yeah. Tape and name only, right? T-I-N-O? T- can, yeah. can we call it that? Is that okay? <laughs> but tape tape is used, you know, for, for archiving and putting things over to, you know, Iron Mountain. Um, all of the security aspects uh, go right along with that. And Absolutely. so... There's a huge amount of management that needs to go on with with all of this stuff. Yeah, you guys, uh, Broadcom, we're also doing quite a bit to bring new people to the platform, right? Oh, so with the with the acquisition of CA by Broadcom, there are today over 200 open recs for people to work on Z products. Hang on a minute, I'll be right back. <laughs> No, you have to wait. I, 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 I got to wait till the end. I, 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 I got a finder's fee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. To my current employer, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. So, but you're doing. Uh, you guys are really actively kind of not just hiring, but bringing them along. To we're, we're to, bringing them along. There, there's a, a whole program for for education. There is a, a really innovative program in which um, we'll bring in new hires train them, put them over at a client's site for uh, a period of time, maybe nine months or, or whatever, and it's a mutual evaluation. If the, you know, this client likes the, uh, this, this particular person and the other way around, we will allow them to hire that person away. We'll, we're, we're trying to go off and seed Skilled people that's really in, into into the the customer sites. That's that's really smart because it's it's one of the issues with. I worked at a large financial institution for twenty years, and one of the issues is you can teach people how to be a systems programmer in a lab, 
and you right. teach them everything they need to know about the U.S., and they can be really good at it. But in order for them to go work at large bank, um, there's a whole bunch of institutional knowledge that they have to have about how it's done because these systems have grown up over 50 years, right? My, my take is each – each Z system is a snowflake, unique and identical <laughs> to itself. Oh, man. <laughs> we work that in the marketing yeah. somewhere. Yeah, maybe we should not use the word cut, snowflake. Cut that. We'll cut that. Oh, cut okay. that in post. <laughs> so I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of, you know, Master the Mainframe program. Um, I, I worked and helped out with that in the academic initiative. I was a liaison o- over to Syracuse University. And I, I do think that there are some things that we can do better in making the mainframe itself accessible so that people have that opportunity to, to learn the mainframe. Um, I, I, I just like to call it System Z. But, <laughs> but just imagine, you know, if somebody wants to learn Unix or, or Linux, they can they can download it. It's it's free. It's easy. There's a huge amount of information that you can go find out on the on the web. We've we've got to make that ability to go off and learn Z just as easy it is to, as it is to learn other other platforms. Preach, brother Larry. I tell you <laughs> what, I've I've to, I've said that so many times, and and I always end with you know if I was if I was a kid coming out of college today. And I could choose any technology to go into. Why would I ever choose going into one that I was never able to get my hands on as a 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old, right? Um, unless my dad did it or my mom did it or something like that. If I, don't, right. if I can't put it side by side with all those other technologies, why would I ever choose it, even if it right. is maybe the best or coolest one out there? Um, so I think you're right on. I mean, I, that's absolutely the right answer, I think. So we, we have to – have to look at how do we create careers for these people that are coming new onto the platform and what would actually drive them. Uh, My point of view on it is what would drive them is Z runs in almost every single major tower, if you will, um, in transportation, in finance, in government, uh, uh, in distribution, and if you want to learn the business, where else best to learn it? If you look at any of the financial institutions, they're an IT shop. They have applications that they call, these are their products, and they have databases that they manage. It's it's all software, and it's mainly on Z. Not only that, but at this stage in the game, um, the competition is low. Like if you're good at it and you can come in and learn this stuff, there are a lot of people retiring out there still. There's going to be a lot of jobs opening. And so if you don't want to go have to be a, a Java programmer that's fighting for one of a million Java jobs, you can go in and, and learn this and be pretty happy with it and probably not have a hard time finding a good job. Oh, now I understand what JCL is, Java job, Java, Java control language. Java control language. <laughs> Excellent. Perfect. Write that down, kids. Java control language will be a test. So uh, we're, we're getting to the top of the hour here. I want to um, thank you, Larry, for spending some time with us. I, I really expected this to be a half hour of just LE, and this is actually more than that. This is great. It's been fantastic. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, thanks for the opportunity. Old man Charlie, run us out. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Chad. 
for questions or comments. Or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at terminaltalk.net. That's contact at terminaltalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence signing off.